0: Heather Dinich is part of what you do for us at ESPN. You cover the inside machinations of college football. So what was the last week like for you?
1: <laughs> um it was like being in a blender and <laughs> <laughs> just kind of getting churned up and spit out. It truly was unprecedented. I mean, this is going into my 16th season covering college football at ESPN, and I can honestly say I have never seen the athletics landscape from coast to coast so volatile.
0: Okay, so let's unblend this a little bit for everyone because we're bringing you on because we just had arguably the most historic day of conference realignment this past Friday. That's when Oregon and Washington announced they were leaving the Pac-12 for the Big Ten in 2024. And then later, Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah all announced they'd be switching to the Big 12, joining Colorado, which had already jumped ship from the Pac-12. And all of this means that the Pac-12, as we've come to know it, is effectively dead. Now, when you look at or talk to power brokers across college football, what was their reaction to all of these moves?
1: Well, it was mixed. There was a sense of this didn't necessarily have to happen. This was a panic-induced flurry. But it was also in the works for months. I mean... People in the industry who have been paying attention to this can trace it back to OU Texas leaving the Big 12 for the SEC. According to the Houston Chronicle,
2: Big 12 powers, Texas and Oklahoma, have reached out to the SEC about joining the conference, adding Texas and Oklahoma would give the SEC 16 teams. They went to 14 teams nine years ago.
1: And then you have a new commissioner, Brett Yormark, taking over. And at his very first public comments at Big 12 Media Days two years ago, he said, the Big 12 is open for business.
2: There is no doubt the Big 12 is open for business.
0: We will leave no stone unturned to drive value for the conference.
1: And you have USC and UCLA. UCLA and USC are planning to leave
0: for the Big 10 as early as 2024. This is right around the corner. They they
1: might join the Big 10 sooner than Texas and Oklahoma join the SEC there were all these moving parts that ultimately contributed to what we saw happen. There's a mixture in reaction of of sadness and some disbelief, but also this is where we are today. This is survival of the fittest. And when you step back and you sort of realize that the Pac-12, which existed for over 100 years probably not gonna exist anymore. I mean that takes a that takes a little while to truly sink in the magnitude of that
0: the good news if you're a Pac-12 football fan is that the 2023 season's looking pretty good. Last year's Heisman Trophy winner, Caleb Williams, is returning to USC, and five Pac-12 teams are represented in the first top 25 coaches poll. The bad news is, well, after 2023, the Pac-12 as we've traditionally known it, is basically headed to the dustbin of history. So today, college football insider Heather Dinich explains the sudden and stunning disintegration of a Power Five conference, whether any of its peers should be worried about their own futures, and how different college football may look when the carousel finally stops turning. I'm Israel Gutierrez. It's Tuesday, August 8th. This is ESPN Daily.
2: Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely.
0: Heather, let's start at the beginning. As much as we can sort of pinpoint one here, when this latest wave of conference realignment really started, you mentioned Oklahoma and Texas leaving the Big 12. Is that where you would say this latest wave began?
1: I think that's fair because that was when you first really saw mistrust. And I remember writing, mistrust is more pervasive right now in college athletics than it ever has been. And I remember asking former Big 12 commissioner Bob Bolsby, who do you trust right now? And he said succinctly, myself. And that was just not long before he stepped aside and Brett Yormark came in. And he Your mark has had a very different approach to this, a very public approach. And like I said, the whole Big 12 is open for business sort of started that. But Mm -hmm. I don't think that you can look at everything else without tracing it back to that moment and how that started. And then you have USC and UCLA, which was the first hit to the Pac-12. Like that, you know, that seemed like it could be overcome.
0: Right. That was in 2022.
1: Right. And I think those two things that contributed to it and then the Colorado move made it easier for everyone else to follow.
0: Explain that one to me because Colorado left for the Pac-12 just 13 years ago and them moving back to the Big 12 signaled what?
1: Signaled they weren't willing to wait for the Pac-12 media deal. And there were people in the Pac-12 who were beside themselves that they couldn't wait five more days or whatever it was until Pac-Twelve commissioner George Klyovkov presented them with the actual numbers. And there were people who said, you know what, this makes sense for Colorado because they were previous members of the Big Twelve. It you know, the timing is right. They have Deion Sanders, and they talked about the recruiting in in Texas and Florida and playing UCF, and that all lines up with Sanders and the direction the program is going. Okay, so you can kind of understand that one. Maybe it's not a, a great fit for everybody else, but boom, you know, they present the media deal, and it's like, well, okay, Colorado's gone. That means that the Big 12 can have a 14th team, which is their ideal scenario for a football schedule. And so the conversations keep going and they get more serious.
0: And so that Colorado move was effectively a domino for the panic moves that you mentioned earlier?
1: Yes, because the first thing that happened was there was a meeting of the athletic directors where multiple sources said that the Big 12 wants a 14th team. That turned the attention to Arizona. Publicly and privately, the spotlight was on Arizona. But as those conversations are happening, Oregon and Washington are in conversations with the Big Ten, which traces back to a year ago to USC and UCLA, again, with all of these schools following each other. So when USC and UCLA went, Oregon and Washington said, wait, 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 can we come too? And the Big Ten wasn't ready to do that. Well, the Big Ten has a new commissioner now and Tony Petiti. But it's also important to remember that there are university and presidents and chancellors who are making these decisions. So as the Big 12 is talking to Arizona about that being that 14th team, Oregon and Washington are in conversations with the Big Ten. So then all of a sudden, it shifts to those two schools. And if Oregon and Washington leave, then holy cow, what is everyone else going to do? hit the big red panic button. And they went. They got the money that they wanted. And then immediately, within hours, you see Utah, Arizona, Arizona State to the Big 12.
0: Could you explain to those who maybe don't understand why the lack of getting a media deal done forced these teams out or whether the media deal that they proposed was just not attractive enough?
1: Well, because the Big Ten and the SEC have certainly distanced themselves from everyone else. Then you have the Big 12, which is going to guarantee its schools and its new deal roughly $30 million per school, just in in television revenue. And the ACC is hovering around there as well. So The university presidents and chancellors were looking for a deal that was comparable to the Big 12 or the ACC. The deal that was on the table for the Pac-12 was a mainly streaming deal from Apple TV. And my understanding through multiple sources was that the first year of the streaming deal with Apple was somewhere around $20 million or so. And if Klyavkov could get the presidents and chancellors to just swallow that pill, the following years would incrementally be much better. The question is were they willing to have the patience? Were they willing to bank on subscriptions from Apple Plus? And the model was after the MLS, which, from my understanding, was the reason that they were confident that this would work. Hey, these guys did it. This is what we're going to do. But there wasn't faith in that. And so you have where we are today. But there are people on the outside who are telling me, look, these guys could have just done this and stuck together and waited until they were in a better position and the market was in a better position but again, we go back to that word panic and looking for stability and financial stability. Those schools got that in the Big Ten. They got it in the Big 12. And the rest of the Pac-12 is going to suffer for it.
0: Well, there was no Lionel Messi in the Pac-12 to make it as attractive when you, <laughs> uh, when you talk about the <laughs> Apple TV deal. So there was no patience. And right now, the Pac-12 is essentially the Pac-4. It's Cal, Stanford, Oregon State, Washington State. What happens to them?
1: So initially, my best guess is that Cal and Stanford are pleading with the Big Ten to take them and grow to 20 teams. There's almost certainly resistance to that. Look, there was some resistance within the Big Ten to adding Oregon and Washington, to be quite frank. Um, But when you go and sit down at a table, you got to be unanimous if you're going to do it. So there are also Multiple sources who told me that the ACC had already looked into models with some of the Pac-12 schools and in the end had determined that they wouldn't bring enough revenue and value worth it to, to make that commitment to them. So I would think at the very least, Oregon State and Washington State could find a home in the Mountain West, which makes the most geographical sense for them. If Stanford and Cal wind up in the Mountain West Conference as well, they're talking about a significant difference in the revenue that they're used to getting from TV money, because they're used to getting about $30 million. That's not the case in the Mountain West. So does Stanford then have to dip into its endowment money to save sports, or does it cut sports? I mean, the real macro view here is that Stanford has about 26 or 27 sports, They're good in the wrong sports, though it pains me to say that, because they're not good enough in football to sustain themselves and get their own TV deal. But if Stanford gets to the point where it has to cut sports, you're talking about an Olympic pipeline. You're talking about, in some way, shape, or form, impacting rosters for the United States Olympics. And we are sitting here today, and I cannot believe, I can't believe that institutions such as Cal and Stanford, which are among the best academic universities literally in the world, Hmm. are wondering where their home is going to be in 2024.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned earlier the Oregon and Oregon State rivalry dissolving. In this scenario, they wouldn't even both be in power conferences anymore.
1: Right. I mean, you know, I remember talking to Mike Gundy from Oklahoma State about Bedlam at Big 12 Media Days and... You can play these teams in bowl games if it matches up that way. You could try Mm -hmm. to play them in non-conference games. But again, with the pressure to get into the college football playoff and how many conference games are you going to play, the scheduling gets more and more difficult. I mean, I had one person say to me, how in the world is the Big Ten going to run its basketball tournament with 18 teams?
0: I mean, geographically, it all sounds insane. And then you throw in the number of teams, but... Let's, let's just take a second here to memorialize the Pac-12 here, because we're witnessing something that's very rare in college sports. It's effectively the dissolution of a football power conference. Only really happened once before with the Southwest Conference when it fell apart in the mid-90s after 82 years. But I feel like we need to eulogize the last six-plus decades of the Pac-12 because it's brought, I know in my lifetime, a ton of sports memories, particularly in college football.
1: The band is on the field. <laughs> <laughs> I give it back now to the 30. They're down to the 20. Oh, the band is out on the field. He's
2: gonna go into the end zone. He's gonna
1: the, the band is on the field. I mean, the Stanford game. It's just there are so, so many memories. I don't even know where to begin. And the LA schools and the, the tradition and the history. It's just, you know, Nick Saban said the word sad, and I think it is completely okay and appropriate to use that word because typically college football fans We all have a soft spot for history and tradition and rivalry games. That's what makes Mm -hmm. it different from the NFL. You went to school there. You lived there. It's a part of your own personal past. And that's changing. And and Cal coach Justin Wilcox doesn't know what to tell his players or their parents or recruits. And, you know, even if you you show these videos of, of what it was and what it used to be, the question is, what will it be? And no one can answer that question right now.
0: Yeah, names like John Elway and Aaron Rodgers, Reggie Bush, all come to mind. So many great Rose Bowl games over the years, too. But what does this all mean for the Rose Bowl, the granddaddy of them all, which has a century-long tradition of inviting a Pac-12 school?
1: Man, so strangely enough, all of this realignment did not change the Rose Bowl. The college football playoff changed it. And I say that because last year's Rose Bowl game between Penn State and Utah was the last traditional Rose Bowl game between the Big Ten and the Pac-12. And that's because this year in the college football playoff, the Rose Bowl is going to host a semifinal and in the next two years of the 12-team college football playoff, it's going to host quarterfinal. So the Rose Bowl has partnered with the college football playoff and integrated itself into the postseason in that way that you might have a Big Ten team. But even if there was a Pac-12, they would not necessarily be matched up unless, by the grace of the football gods, it happened that way. So... Last year was it, and the bottom line is that this doesn't really impact it. The college football playoff does, and what we saw last year between Penn State and Utah, I mean, snapshot right there <laughs> of the blue and white confetti on the field, because that, that was it.
0: Okay, so after the break, how these moves away from the Pac-12 could affect the rest of the college football landscape.
2: The NFL schedule drops this week, kiddos, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, and every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today.
0: All right, Heather, time to look into your crystal ball and tell us where this all ends up. First up, is the Southeastern Conference going to be content to stay at 16 teams, you think?
1: Well, the one thing I know for sure about that is that SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey is not going to panic. He's not going to make any knee-jerk reactions, and he's going to be very calculated and methodical in how he responds and not just do something in a rush based on everything that's happening around him. Multiple sources have, have agreed with that sentiment. And he has said out loud that there are a lot of other factors that go into getting larger, none mm-hmm. of which have really been discussed that much aside from thoughts in his own head. So it would be naive to think there aren't conversations about it. They're certainly paying attention to everything that has happened around them. I think the key to whether or not the SEC grows is watching the ACC, because if by some chance those schools can wiggle their way out of this ball and chain deal that goes through 2036, then things could really get interesting.
0: How realistic is that, them being able to wiggle their way out of those deals?
1: Time will tell. We've seen some very strong statements from Florida State's president that basically said, hey, the ACC needs to give us more money or we're gone. And the reality is that it's a very legal spiderweb that they have to get out of. It's about $120 million in an exit fee, and then they would have to go to court to get out of the grant of rights and see if that's possible. My understanding and talking to sources is that they're willing to go to court to challenge that. I've also talked to multiple sources who have said that they're looking at the possibility of private equity to try to figure out how to get out to help them pay that $120 million fine. So if they were to get out of that, other schools would obviously follow their blueprint. They've just taken different tactics in terms of How public they are with their discontent. But you know, Clemson, uh, Miami, there are other schools who feel the same way that they should be getting more money. And it's not just about the revenue distribution right this second. The biggest concern is that it's compiled over time through the next 13 years or whatever it is that they're going to further separate from the SEC and the Big Ten in terms of money that they're losing. But As we sit here right now, there are no invitations for Florida State or North Carolina or Virginia to go anywhere else. But that doesn't mean that that can't change.
0: Right, because even though the conference effectively scoffed at Florida State's statement, they seem to be doing their homework and seeing that, like you mentioned, there is a path to them exiting and then other teams following, right?
1: Right, but I don't sense any of that is imminent. They've been looking at this for a year, already. I mean, they have been pouring over documents with attorneys trying to figure out how to escape this. And it's very real. I mean, look, I'm talking to you from the state of Maryland, (laughs) where (laughs) at one point it used to be in the ACC and it left for the Big Ten. And they went through this with the exit fee and the legal ramifications and all of that. But guess what? I'm sitting in Big Ten country right now. Never thought I'd say it.
0: Okay, well, let's move to the Big Ten then. Is that conference done expanding?
1: Well, I think the next thing we have to watch is, do they pick up Stanford and Cal? Mm -hmm. And there's certainly a possibility that that happens, but there's also going to be a lot of pushback. Like I said earlier, there were some within that league that didn't fully want to do the Washington-Oregon move right now at this time. Some people felt it was rushed. There's also pushback from USC and UCLA because— They wanted to be the only ones on the West Coast coming into this thing, and they wanted to protect the recruiting out there. So I certainly sense that there will be pushback there for more reasons than just, hey, can we really handle 20 teams? And by the way, the more teams you add, the more you have to share the pie at Thanksgiving. I mean, at some point, everybody's going to start to share more money. That's just the reality of the situation. Do they want to do that? And that's something that I've talked to SEC sources about in terms of their thoughts. And one person said to me, look. You know, the TV money is one thing, but the revenue from the conference championship game doesn't change. Our baseball tournament doesn't change. Do we want to share that between 18 schools, 20 schools instead of 16? So those are very real conversations. But at this point, man, (laughs) nothing (laughs) would surprise me.
0: Well, you mentioned the difficulty of those teams exiting the ACC. But if there is a path, how natural of a target for the Big Ten would, say, North Carolina and Virginia be?
1: That would be a good fit. That would be smart. I mean, they have just become such desirable markets and schools. The Big Ten is huge on academics, um, which does play uh, a plus in the favor of Cal and Stanford, of course, but certainly North Carolina and Virginia, they would fit. They would fit for market, they would fit for academics, um, and they would fit for athletics. But Again, how how big do you want to get? How much money do you want to share? But the market thing is huge. And that's another aspect of this that we didn't talk much about. But that's very real, too.
0: Well, they'd also love the golden prize of the golden domes, right? Notre Dame. How realistic? Where could that start becoming a
1: possibility? So here's the reality of it. I mean, we're talking about Monopoly board pieces, Hmm. right? And that blue square, you know, Boardwalk and Park Place, there's one of those squares left, and that's Notre Dame. And that is truly the most valuable piece of property left on the board, and it's not for sale. I mean, Hmm. all indications right now are that Notre Dame is happy as an independent I don't know that there's any other university out there sitting pretty like Notre Dame as all of this unfolds around them. And Jack Swarbrick, their athletic director, has said repeatedly that there are only a few things that would change that position, and it's not having a fair route to the postseason. Well, they have that. Not having a, a broadcast partner. Well, they've got that. So they have the things that they need in terms of staying independent, and they're in a good spot. And if they were to join a league contractually, it would have to be the ACC. But when all of this was happening with USC and UCLA, I did report that there's a little bit of a loophole because if they were to pull out all of their other sports from the ACC, then they would no longer be bound to that contract. So then you could see them join the Big Ten or something like that. But I think it would take a whole lot of earth shaking in order for that to happen.
0: Okay, so nothing as earth-shaking as Notre Dame joining a conference. But what does this all mean for the college football playoff?
1: Well, it's definitely going to 12 teams in 2024. I mean, doesn't that feel just like Y2K in college athletics, 2024? Yeah. So this is going to 12 teams. And right now, the model proposed is six plus six. The six highest-ranked conference champions plus the next six highest-ranked teams. The commissioners are going to have to go back to the table to talk about that again, assuming the Pac-12 dissolves, Mm. because it's going to be the Power Four. So the most logical conversation for them to have to change the model would be five highest-ranked conference champions plus the next seven highest-ranked teams, because that would give the Big Ten, the SEC, the Big 12, and the ACC conference champions guaranteed spots plus another FBS conference. But, I mean, look, I guess you have to say there is a possibility that the Pac-12 could pick off some other schools from other places and try to keep its brand and its name. Most sources I've talked to have said that's highly unlikely. Nobody's is believing that that's really going to happen. Could they merge with a Mountain West Conference? Maybe. But then still, are you a Power Five conference? Right. You, By no, name so, only. Right. So... I don't think it's going to shake up the college football playoff in the next two years with a 12-team playoff drastically more than what I just mentioned with possibly a 5 plus 7 because there's no time. These guys don't even have that, like, done in terms of the details.
0: Okay, so you're watching this all happen. Does it seem like there's an obvious sort of blueprint laying out here? Do you have a sense of where it ends, how big these conferences are ultimately going to get, and what this is going to look like?
1: Realignment's never over. It's not. I've been doing this too long to think, oh, it's done. No way. Something else will happen at some point. It will continue to change. But I think people have to remember when we talk about things like, oh, the Big Ten and the SEC will have its own playoff, or this is going to go to the NFL or whatever. There's Title IX involved. There's other sports involved. And there are legal ramifications to decisions like that. So... You know, I think that you might hear athletic directors and coaches talk about some of that stuff, but I think at the highest level with university presidents and commissioners, probably the most realistic scenario, um, whenever it might be, is maybe three power conferences, maybe Big 12, SEC, Big 10. You know, who knows how it'll realign itself, but I think that's probably the most realistic thing.
0: Okay, so to the degree that we can still recognize it, like let's assume it doesn't just become its own entity, it leaves the NCAA, will any of us at home actually care? Will we still watch? And what degree, to what degree, will any of this movement actually affect the sport's popularity?
1: We will care, we will love it, we will watch it. If there is a game on Saturday, We'd all be watching it. We won't be talking about this, and everyone is gonna love to watch USC play Ohio State and UCLA play Michigan. Like these are fun games we're gonna be talking about. But there's also a reality too. You're gonna watch Rutgers play Stanford. Not every game is LSU Alabama, but it's never been that way. We always have a week in October where everybody's like, ah, these games. Like, what? Why are we playing these games? But still, people watch it. People love it. And I think that it's survived 100 years. It's going to survive 100 more.
0: Well, Heather Dinich, thank you so much for taking time out of the blender that you've been in for so long (laughs) and explaining some of this to us.
1: Yep, my pleasure. Thank you.
0: I'm Israel Gutierrez. This has been ESPN Daily. I'll talk to you tomorrow.